The new Willy Wonka Golden Ticket Games from the Virginia Lottery are here. The Scratcher gives you the chance to win up to $100,000. The online game gives you the chance to win up to $1 million. For more information, visit VALottery.com. Hey, Hotels.com here. Struggling to keep up with your toddler? We know a hotel that'll keep them entertained. Book family-friendly hotels with pools in the Hotels.com app to find your perfect somewhere. Hey, everybody. It's your spider tank bruiser, Holden McNeely. And it is I, your police officer who has rockin' yappos and just exquisitely animated nipples. Look at my nipples. My nipples are part of my shell. Is a shell a body? Is a body a person? My ghost tells me otherwise. Ah! (laughs) Holden, a soul is a something that ancient religions believed in, but now we believe in technology, and in technology the ghost is the soul. So you bring up a really good point about saying the word ghost, because today's episode is about Ghost in the Shell, the popular anime manga franchise uh, that slash cultural lightning rod. I think it was the first anime thing I ever saw. Mm-hmm. I, I remember, and we've talked about this in the past. Maybe it was more on bonus episodes on this Patreon. Is, this is going to be a specific thing that, like, I'm going to need you to open your phones right now, listeners, and like just Google Ghost in the Shell VHS cover. Yeah, and if that weird green matrix topless sunglasses gun lady doesn't immediately like flood your memories with like just standing in video rental stores and Suncoast videos, then we don't, we're not of the same generation. It It is. I feel like it was the first cyberpunk thing I ever saw. I think it was the first time I was ever explained the singularity. And I don't think I was ready for any of it. I was just like, you know, cause we talked about it, the advertisements for ghost in the shell and Akira and stuff like that. were just like, look at these dark, gritty, violent, crazy Japanese movies. They're going to blow your mind. And so like, I got it expecting like, Oh, throw all the craziest shit at me in this movie, please. And what I got instead was more like a, a, a had the pacing and the tone of a noir. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like I mean there are some splashily violent moments, but for the most part, I feel like it is this brooding exploration of what it is to be human. I mean, this is the kind of thing that's wrote nowadays, but it was a new concept to me back in the day because I was not a big sci-fi guy. And so having the conversation of like, what is a human, what makes a human and all that. And I don't think I was ready for it, to be honest with you. I, I, I remember being like, okay, that was a movie, sort of let's move on. You know what I mean? It didn't like super blow my mind um but i also it took I, I, years later i would be having conversations about the singularity and about you know uh, uploading your consciousness to a machine and unifying soul and stuff like that you get in these sorts of uh and these sorts of types of media but i i don't know middle school or ninth grade me or yeah. however young i was was just like oh what it but was, I did think it was cool when her fucking arms ripped off of her body while she pulled on. The oh, when her back tank. muscles start spazzing yeah, out on top of the tank. So Amazing. Cool. That's really um, <laughs> yeah, this is honestly, I had a excited. weird the whole time, too. So that was the whole thing. Well, that's the thing, though, is we'll get into it. Um, 
I remember this like before I was a weeb, before I was a yeah, like I said, yeah, it, was it pre- predates everything, mm-hmm. and um, it's such a, a focal point that it 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 influenced so much shit that came after it. You know, we've actually talked about in our Matrix episode. That the Wachowski brothers, when they were, you know, uh, pitching the movie to Joel Silver, just handed him a copy of Ghost in the Shell yeah. and was like, we want to make this, but live action. Yeah. And um, the way that it kind of um, made the promise of the early internet, like, kind of excite, you know, you're we're using America Online and already we're thinking about, like, well, someday our brains are going to be on this. It's insane. Yeah. And, and by the way, I, did, I, I want to give an update. So watching it again this past week. It is a lot better than I remembered it. Mm-hmm. I think that movie is phenomenal, and I love the ever the music, the tone, you know, all of it. Just uh, what what it says. Um, I just thought it was fantastic. It holds up like a motherfucker. So definitely check it out. Also, it was a pleasure to get to check out some of the other Ghost in the Shell works that have come out since, and we'll talk about all that stuff today. Ghost in the Shell. We're going to blow your minds um, and maybe teach you a little something. Hey, Holden, let's get this uh, let's get this techno cyber future party going with, uh, you know, let's play a hot jam. Uh, Mary, can you play a couple of bars of Making of a Cyborg by Kenji Kawai? That is such a haunting, perfect, <laughs> perfect com- composition. Like it's so jarring. It's, it's so, so good. Creepy. It's so scary, and it has all the feelings of something ancient and something futuristic all at once. Mm-hmm. Fantastic! That that music just got r- ripped me up. I watched it in like the middle of the day in the dark. And just sort of like held myself in the fetal position, which is like, I don't, robots are bad. Robots are bad. Uh, and I feel like it's more true now than ever before. You know, we have those videos of men literally beating robots with baseball bats and things like that. And um, wait, are you talking about those? It's, it's, wait, are you talking about the Boston Dynamic videos where they just kick it with a little hockey so, stick? That's, dude, they've gotten more violent, man. <laughs> and, and you can see it sinking into the. Metal consciousness <laughs> is all I'm saying. Okay, so Ghost in the Shell, by the way, let's just give the synopsis here up top. A Japanese cyberpunk science fiction media franchise set in a world with major technological advancements to the point that many folks' biological brains are connected to computer networks and they also have cybernetic body parts. The protagonist is a full-on cyborg due to suffering a horrible accident as a child known as the Major uh, she is now a public security agent hunting down a mysterious hacker, and that's essentially where, where we're at at the beginning of the film, and uh, here we are at the beginning of our story with Masamune Shiro, the mastermind be- behind the manga, which led to the anime. It was really cool reading about the manga, and it actually it's a lot fun. It's like more funny. Oh, dear God. Okay, so number one, the thing, if you haven't read the manga, that you have to understand is the major and the world of uh, of Ghost in the Shell, which the manga technically isn't called Ghost in the Shell in Japan. I can't remember yes, what it's, it's called, actually called oh, in Japanese, shit. but it's uh, it's Mobile it. Armored Riot Police. Yes, that is the name, yeah. And it's basically uh, less, I mean, well, it's, no, I can't diminish it. 
but it is very much the major is less the kind of contemplative doll-like deeply like existentially sad figure that yes. we see in the movie and more adult uh uh in the film it's, it's she's she's written younger in the manga and looks right and looks younger i mean she's she's written and drawn like a goddamn vivacious sex monster uh-huh. yeah. and this major curses this major drinks beer this major fucks this major is insubordinate this major goofs off this major breaks the rules and uh, she's basically one of the coolest characters, I feel like, in anime and manga as uh, done in the comics. She is just oozing with charisma and badassery. And um, the it's it's really striking, having grown up with the, with the movie, uh, seeing just how kind of, I, I said it again, vivacious the major <laughs> is in the comics. Uh, a lot of the plot points do mirror each other. She does end up going, finding the mysterious puppet master and doing we'll get to that later but it really is like uh it's just this fun late 80s early 90s exquisitely drawn cyber cop uh sci-fi show or, sorry series where there are philosophical things the art uh, uh masamune shiro will just devolve into these lengthy philosophical like kind of treatises with visual aids to kind of showcase his different ideas and arguments where there'll be these diagrams and kind of illustrated, almost like a slideshow about the concepts he's talking about. Uh, here's but a also, good... he'll just have a two-page spread of uh, the major just getting fucking finger blasted by two sex droids. Jesus Christ. I'm, dude, he has, I mean, since he's made this manga, he's like gone back and done a few sequel series, but he's basically just a J.O. artist now. He is yeah. a legendary erotic artist in Japan. Uh, here is a good example of one of those diatribes. This is what uh, Shiro had to say about tech and religion. I do think that science and technology are becoming more and more like magic. In other words, the experts know what's going on, but the average person doesn't have a clue. To most people, things are becoming more and more of a black box. They just know that if they input something into the box, they'll get a specific result. This is especially true of computers. You have to be an expert to know why certain things happen and to understand the principles involved, but the average person isn't an expert. Most people just use computers because they're convenient. They can't explain the principles involved, so they in effect treat the computers like magic. This doesn't mean computers are actually magic. The worlds of science and magic are obviously separate, but in terms of our consciousnesses and the way we perceive things, they are converging. That may be why, in my work, it may seem as though I'm trying to integrate sci-tech and religion, because both do seem to be convergent converging and when i say religion i don't mean something controlled by some omnipotent god i just mean gods in the sense of nature i thought that was a really fascinating but anyways like he's going deep on the sci-fi in other words uh to give a let's give a little background on masamune shiro shall we if that is his real name it is not his real name oh Uh, (laughs) okay then uh it is a pseudonym his real name is masanori ota masamune uh is recognized as japan's greatest swordsmith back in the late 13th and early 14th centuries. Uh, And the reason I think he took on a pseudonym, he's a recluse. He actually stays way out of the mainstream. He doesn't live in Tokyo. He actually lives in uh, Kobe, the capital city of Hyogo Prefecture in Japan, which is where he was born. He studied oil painting at Osaka University of Arts, uh, which is a private arts university. 
that has produced such talent as Koji Kondo, composer with Nintendo, uh, Fumito Ueda, the director of Shadow of the Colossus, along with many other successful illustrators, manga artists, anime producers. And while in college, he got into manga with friends as part of the fanzine subculture. Um, he created a manga with his friends called Black Magic M66, which is already a cyberpunk manga, so he's already that he's finding his groove there. Uh, set in a world where synthetic life forms and humans are involved in a power struggle with a being named Typhon, who uh, is trying to prevent the end of life that struggle would cause. And um, the president of a publishing house called Seishinsha, named... We've talked about Seishinsha, but have we talked about Seishinsha before? Probably. Uh, his name was uh, Harumichi Aoki. He uh, liked the manga enough to publish his next work, Appleseed. And that takes place after a non-nuclear third world war leading to the destruction of most of the world's population. The protagonists are former SWAT members. Again, we've got this police force in a near future already with his earliest work. Um, they are sw former SWAT members of the LAPD that are invited to join a newly established utopian city of Olympus as part of their police force. Uh, that now we're talking mid to late eighties. Yeah. This is happening. It's based. It's a. It's a natural kind of. Um extension of the you know Gundam what would robots do to warfare Shiro definitely takes a lot of cracks at what would um, robots do to police work um, so Appleseed comes out it's a huge influential hit Dominion Tank Police comes out it's a huge influential hit set again in the future this time a super polluted earth forcing humans to live in a protected city and wear oxygen masks when outside and our protagonist and his android twin buddies are attempting to stop a top secret government project that would force forcibly alter the human race's biology to make them immune to the pollution rather than solve the pollution issue itself again we've got government conspiracies police forces trying to stop them, yada, 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 like we're seeing in Ghost in the Shell. These mangas and animes actually influence uh, the future director of Ghost in the Shell, uh, oh, oh, uh, Mamoru Oshii. Oshi. Yes, Oshii. Uh, because he ends up hooking... Uh, well, okay, so basically, yeah, Masamune Shiro makes these mangas. Uh, Ghost in the Shell is truly, like, it's funny. It has, like... All the fucked up violence, all the tech porn, all the porn porn, all the jokes. Uh, each member of the of the Section Nine crew has freedom to kind of uh, 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 express themselves and do their fun jokes. Uh, you know, and you know, uh, Bato, Togusa, Aramaki, all all these characters that are kind of given backgroundy uh, roles mm -hmm. in the in the original movie. Uh, you know, have the freedom to kind of uh, be fun characters. And it's, they really are just like, it, they're cops. Yeah. They're like hardened cops that are like completely uh, cynical about the world around them. Shiro uh, and Oshi were both extremely cynical about Japan's politics at the time, which yes. you have to understand in the 80s, they're experiencing this gigantic economic boom. Uh, but in public, they're making this big deal about how they're such a peaceful nation because World War II shenanigans, they can't have an army. They have this weird self-defense force. Uh, that keeps getting like sent on peacekeeping missions, and uh, the 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 grand thing is that Japan kind of built itself up as this peaceful super capitalist like utopia. Meanwhile, all the grizzled artists are like, and we're just fucking the babysitters of Asia for fucking America. And meanwhile, America's ripping shit apart. You guys are fucking phonies. Like every politician's corrupt, every business is corrupt. Shit's fucked, and. Uh, 
in Ghost in the Shell, especially in the uh, manga and in the anime, when all is said and done, the enemies that they fight most often, un- even under the guise of the, terrorists the people, and criminals. The people they're working for, essentially, right? It's always, like, yeah. Section 9 is just the good guys. Like, they're the one pre... It's like, uh, it's like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. They're the one precinct of actual people who, like, care about truth. God, um, yeah, 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 totally. Which and and speaking of America, by the way, before Ghost in the Shell even comes out in, in the real world, um, the head of San Francisco-based uh, studio Proteus named Torin Smith discovers the work of Shiro and gets translations happening for his works in America. So by the time Ghost in the Shell hits, it does actually have a cult following in America, which is the first we see of this crossover happening in America, oh, which is very rare gets, at the time. It gets even crazier than that. I don't know how we'll get into. It. We're trying to be. A, I think we're. I think we're trying to be a little Lucy Goosey. <laughs> um, that is the Lucy is Goosey. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I just turned into a monster for two seconds, Jake. What's going on? What's happening? I think the Lucy Goosiness is getting to my brain. So the manga <laughs> is uh, in one of the most pop. Is I think it's like shown in Sunday, like a really or one of the. It's it's popular. Meanwhile, elsewhere. Uh, very influenced by Shiro's work, a new media franchise called Pat Labor yes. is uh, being created by a creative collective known as Headgear, which is this yes. very unique- uh, It's a very cool name, by the yeah. way, for an animation suite. And uh, also- Especially if you've had braces. <laughs> Nothing's cooler than Headgear. Get out right? of here, braces, Timmy. We didn't ask you to be on this show. Don't hate me because my jaw is malformed. Get- hate me because of my pornography addiction. You have the biggest, you got that underwear flapping out of the back of your pants. How many wedgies did you get today, uh, Headgear? Braces, Timothy. What's her name again? I can't remember. I just made it up to say. My life is a living nightmare of orthodontic pain and derision. <laughs> You're not old enough to watch Ghost of the Shell. Yeah, but I got fucking Shinamax. Ugh, gross. So... Uh, and let's talk. So this is where Mamoru uh, Oshi comes in, uh, and I'll we'll give a back. I wanted to give a background to him leading up to Headgear. Okay, Mamoru Oshi, who is greatly influenced by European cinema from directors like Federico Fellini, Igmar Bergman, and Jean Pierre Melville, as well as Godard and T- Tarkovsky. Uh, he is like uh, he kind of he comes to all this because his dad was a huge cinephile seeing all these different films he gets this great education as a kid at home he ends up graduating from Tokyo Gakuge University then got work at Tatsunoko Productions at first as a storyboard artist and uh, on the anime Ipatsu Kantakun which is a uh, baseball anime uh, you'll he- know uh, Tatsunoko uh, probably from the obscure Wii fighting game, Tatsunoku versus Capcom, mm. but they've also done uh, a series of uh, anime series that, such as, uh, uh, I guess we know it as uh, G-Force, but, you know, it's Gotcha Man. I mean, he uh, also, it's they started out in the 60s with Space Ace, to give you an idea of how no. far back they go, and they even did work on Neon Genesis Evangelion, uh, the, the television series. Well, oh, okay, it gets a little complicated with that. Yeah. Tatsunoku is, like, a very broad, uh, usually child-friendly animation uh, production company that like usually releases their own intellectual property. Then there's like a whole side project that uh, basically one of the directors is pissed off that his favorite animators always get sidetracked to other projects. So Mm. he's like, Hey, how about I start my own side imprint studio for you? Tatsunoku. Is that studio Piero? No, that's a production. It becomes Tatsunoku IG. Okay. And uh, that becomes 
production IG, who then becomes the animation studio that works on Neon Genesis Evangelion and Ghost in the Shell and is now a legendary, like it's up there with Madhouse and like, you know, it's always, ah. it's always a sign that like uh, this anime's got money behind it if it's a production gotcha. thing. He he ends up moving over to Studio Pierrot under his mentor Hisayuki uh, Toriyumi, where he served as a director and storyboard artist on the comedic anime Urusei Yatsura. I'm saying all of this incorrectly. Uh, that's the one with the girl with the tiger stripe bikini the and alien. the green hair. Yes, uh, Lum, I think, is what they got westernized as. It's uh, like it sounds like such a campy '80s movie. It's an alien girl who comes down to Earth and. This guy accidentally proposes to her, so she thinks she's married to him, and he can't get rid of her. It's uh, and no, it's a, it's a classic series. It's like me. It's one of the most dominant. Rumiko Takahashi did the manga. And she also did Rama One Half, which other people who ended up working on Ghost in the Shell worked on. Uh, he ends up directing two films based on the franchise. His first OVA or original video animation was called Dallos, which uh. It is considered the first OVA ever released, as well as the first direct-to-video production ever released, which is, sounds insane to me. And I, is, That's how much he values creative control, is he yeah. pioneered a new way of getting anime out in the world, where, you know, fuck it, we don't need a network, we don't need sponsors. We're going to make the fucking most badass thing we can, and you pay us. It was a, it was about a rebellion on a moon colony by settlers and a mysterious artifact called Dallos. The next one I really want to check out. Angel's Egg. Oh, dude. Well, first of all, I haven't seen. Have you seen it? Um, I've watched bits and pieces. It's very slow, very artistic, right? very deliberate. It's, it, this is like a a very symbolic. It deals in religion. It's it's it's. I don't even think it does even have a plot. It's one of those. It's like it's an art full piece. of symbology. Basically, um, symbolism. Symbology is not a word, Jake Young. Uh, thank you, my my very intelligent co-host. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. That was so dickish. Of no, it's fine. Dude, I was teaching a class if one time. If you didn't say it, I'd be getting 800 Twitter <laughs> messages about Dude, it. Dude, I was teaching a class one time, and I said the word analyzation, I believe. And the, and it was a writing class, but it was a comedy writing class. So I'm not, not a fucking grammar class. And one of the students was just like, that's not a word. And then you yeeted him out a third-story window. He, I wish I had. He never returned after that. And I think it's because he was like... Pfft. Dummy thinks analyzation is a word. Uh, is it analyzation? I, I forget what I said. I, I it's so it made me oh, so angry. So basically, <laughs> Angel's Egg is the Dark Souls of anime in mm. terms of storytelling. There's just all these context clues and like just objects and scenery that tell a that suggest a greater story. Um, to the point where in Dark Souls three, uh, what's that character who's like sleeping next to the egg? Oh fuck! That's like blatantly from <laughs> Mamoru Oshii's oh. uh, Angel's Egg. Oh, I it need to see. I should have seen this before we even. Did. I, I that sounds totally up my alley. Uh, but it, was, it is the quint. It is quintessential art house anime, and it's also a collaboration with artist Yoshitaka Amano, who did Speed Racer. Uh, not only that, but all the fucking badass uh, Final Fantasy artwork that you know, the, the like the real floofy Final yes. Fantasy artwork. Yes, that, I that, love that, that stuff. And it was produced by Toshio Suzuki, who would go on to co-found Studio Geely. And now I had no idea that Oshi had this weird past mm. with Studio Geely, and that's kind of where th- this comes in there. Wait, Ghibli? Ghibli? I'm sorry, I always say it. I say everything wrong. I should just call this Jennifer podcast. Lopez and Ben Affleck run Studio Geely. <laughs> With Kevin Smith. I think we've had this stupid conversation before, too. Why am I such an idiot? <laughs> um, To be fair, all of humanity is just... Hold on, wait. Let me go back to bad English dub uh, uh, major voice. Holden, 
Humanity is but a child in the beginning stages of its development. Perhaps my ghost is telling me that we are all idiots. Compared to the vastness of computer science, we are just memories and half-remembered truths. Together, we are but a child. But perhaps in the new era, we will finally reach maturation. Thank you, Major San. <laughs> now look at these hot nips. <laughs> no, don't make me. Why did they give me these so hard, super I'm hard, mar- I'm married. I'm a married man. Why did they give me... Holden, these nipples, they are so exquisitely animated. If you thought maybe the idea is that I'm disconnected from my body and sexuality, you wouldn't have drawn my nipples so exquisitely at 40 frames a second. And yet here they are. Boingy, boingy, boingy. Uh, all right, boingy, boingy. Uh, his next that movie has so much nipples. So much nipple, it's ridiculous. It's, it's overpowering. <laughs> It might uh, as well be called nipples on the shell. Nipples, yeah, nipples uh, in the sh- on on top of the shell. Uh, his next project is canceled, but it was going to be a collaboration with Hayao Miyazaki, oh. Toshio Suzuki, and it was going to be and Toshio Suzuki. It was going to be called Anchor, and it was because they had artistic disagreements, and this would actually spur a weird like Oshi. I think kind of from what quotes I gleaned, I think he looks at Miyazaki as like his rival and he's always very critical of Miyazaki's films, but he also, it's one of those where it's like Batman and the Joker, like he needs to exist for me to exist essentially. Like he said things along those lines, you know, and I think that's really interesting and they are so different. I mean, they're playing in similar themes sometimes, but they have such completely different approaches to anime in terms of just stylistically um oshi having kicked around the anime community for a while has made friends also in the anime community. now he's joining headgear and together they like just they just want some goddamn rights they just want to be able to like hack have a seat at the negotiating table when it comes to merchandising and licensing they want to have control over the final artistic work and they create pat labor uh you know, uh, smashed together a patrol labors set in a future Japan where uh, construction equipment and heavy machinery have been supplanted by these you know, like legged Gundam ass looking things. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a world where every working class Joe has access to a giant death robot, the police uh, all of a sudden need to build their own unit of police of uh, death robots to kind of fight them. And it has a huge it's kind of like a gentler, more uh, humane, or not humane. What's the, what's the better word? Humanistic uh, version of Shiro of uh, Shiro's like kind of uh, tits and violence, like crazy version of the future. It's a more gentler, uh, believable future, and uh, but still, it has a squad of like uh, uh, blue collar cops kind of trying to navigate a corrupt, uh, j- uh, you know, post economic boom Japan. Uh, the head is, uh, the main character is this plucky female pilot named Noah. And, uh, there's a TV show that is mildly popular, but Oshi really gets to stretch his legs on the movie versions. Yes. And these are the Pat Labor movies, which, uh, what I've hear, what I hear is the superior one is, uh, Pat Labor to the movie is basically just another Ghost in the Shell movie that just isn't called Ghost in the Shell. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's about, like, politics and terrorism. It has a very sympathetic villain. It's tied to, like, uh, you know, these uh, the politics of Japan. It's tied to, uh, you know, uh, fighting corruption. And it's all very... And lots of, like, quiet moments and letting characters breathe and letting the setting kind of, like, be a character within it. It also has another... uh, Oshi trademark, which is a bunch of fucking birds flying around. All his movies have bird shit. He just loves this. He loves birds. And uh, that's actually a pretty big success. Pat Labor is a pretty big success. 
and uh, Oshi has enough money to retire. He claims in an interview uh, that I watched on YouTube that he was ready to, he bought a house in the woods and he was living with his basset hound, Gabriel. And he was just. Uh, That's why there's a lot of basset hounds in his work. He loves by the birds way. and bassets. He says he uh, the the time he feels most human, uh, or or the time what was it? It was a whole quote about how he feels like he lets go of all of his bullshit, and he he feels like actually the least human when he's playing with that dog, and he's not he doesn't have to deal with all like the woes of the world. Ghost in the Shell two colon Innocence, which I don't know yes. if we'll get into, but we I, will. I, I saw it in the theaters when it came out. Mm. I, a lot of people hate it. A lot of people think it's plotting and meandering. But, like, as I was the right age, just fully taking everything that he's throwing down, if you don't watch the movie, you can find on YouTube, just look up Ghost in the Shell 2 dog scene, <laughs> and it's just Bateau coming home after a long day of fucked up crime shit and just taking care of his fucking basset hound. And it is so wholesome and pure. <laughs> and, like, the pa- it's... It's one of those moments that you're just like, oh, fuck, animation really is, like, the most powerful art form. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm distracted. Anyway. No, you're fine. He's in the So he bought a house. He's in the woods. He has this dog, and he's like, that's it. I'm out. I'm done. I'm Mamoru Oshii. I did my thing. Pat Labor was a success, and I'm done. And then he almost immediately ran out of money. So he <laughs> made a script uh, pitch, and uh, he made a pitch and went right back to uh, Bandai Namco Visual. Um, or I don't know if they were Namco, whatever. He went to Bandai, uh, you know, Gundam, the giant media empire in Japan. Hell yeah, you got to feed that dog. And he came with a pitch, and the uh, the the representative of Bandai was like, actually, you know what? Uh, I'm hungry. Let's go to the sushi bar on the second floor of the building. And Mamoru was like, oh, okay. And then uh, they were about to sit down, and then the executive was like, actually, let's go back to the private room. And Mamoru was like, uh, okay. And so finally they sit down, and before he even puts down his pitch, the Bandai executive puts down a new pitch for a Ghost in the Shell movie because he's the Pat Labor guy. He knows how to make movies about plucky future cops. In a near, yeah, yeah near future. Pilot robots. Social conspiracy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Economic crisis, all that. Yeah. So because, And so he's like, oh, I'm not even going to look at your idea. Just do the thing we know you can do again. Oshi said about the whole getting into it, uh, my intuition told me that this story about a futuristic world carried an immediate message for our present world. I am also interested in computers through my own personal experience with them. I had a, the same feeling about Pat Labor, and I thought it would be interesting to make a film that took place in the near future. There are only a few movies, even out of Hollywood, which clearly portray the influence and power of computers. I thought this theme would be more effectively conveyed through animation, especially back then when creating a future city like you get in Blade Runner or something like that. That is very expensive to do in the mid-80s, you know, like late early 90s uh, at the time. Uh, he also wanted to address how technology changes people and how inherent it had become in Japanese culture. But also, 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 he had a foreign audience in mind as well when he was creating, when he was going about making this. Well, he didn't have a foreign audience in mind initially. So, Holden. Oh, yeah? We've been in Japan for a while now. So, can I draw your eye to Please. the... Not I'm your breast. I don't want to look at your breast again, all right? No, I'm not doing the voice. I'm not the major. <laughs> Watch the English dub and you'll be like, fuck, that was Jake's doing the voice perfectly. <laughs> She sounds like a bat mitzvah yeah. giving a speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fucking awful. <laughs> um, our story is in Japan, but it also starts in Jamaica. So uh, tell you what, Holden. 
Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of British record company Island Records? Uh, yeah, 100%. Legendary, legendary record company uh, started in 1959 by uh, Chris Blackwell, the heir to the Branston Pickle fortune, mm. uh, which is just true. If you ever had Branston Pickle, it's delicious. It's part of a plowman's lunch. It's a spread. It's salty. It's sour. Mm, delicious. He is. Uh, he starts Island Records, which uh, starts... Uh, Putting out bands like uh, uh, King Crimson, Toots and the Maytals, Roxy Music. U2. U2. Wild success. Wonderful success in the records industry. They start branching off in the early 90s to a home video company. And uh, one of their first major successes is Akira. Like, just by pure chance, they get the rights to Akira, throw it out there, and it's a massive success. Like... We wouldn't know what Akira was if it wasn't for the fucking Pickle Air record producer legendary mm-hmm. label head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why these, you know, and because we're getting to the part where they're involved in Ghost in the Shell. If you remember, there were like advertisements for like Akira, Ghost in the Shell, all in one package of like, look at these crazy and it would Japanese be, movies. It would be on the same uh, networks that would do record. They would, they would do the Columbia Record yes. Club and all this stuff. It was all part of the same. It would like the music industry gave birth to the anime industry. Blackwell hired a man named Andy Frame, not Andy Dufresne. Andy Frame, who uh, was looking for another hit. They never they, they kept importing anime, and the, none of them really had the same impact as Akira. And uh, what Andy kind of settled on was that a lot of them were too Japanese. Like, you know, they would take place in these, like, uh, parochial schools, and they would take place in these ancient cities, and, you know, it was just too foreign. And uh, from working with all these producers and importers, uh, Andy Frame... I keep wanting to say Andy Dufresne. It's well, I just my every who's time. Who's Andy I'm, Dufresne? Andy Dufresne was the wisest man I ever saw at Shawshank Prison. Oh, it's been a while since I've seen Shawshank. Andy Prison. Dufresne was one uwu kawa utaku. I tell you, <laughs> ain't nobody on the on the yard had as many anime body pillows as Andy Frame. <laughs> um, that was the worst Morgan Freeman I've ever done, and yeah. I usually do a good Morgan Freeman. <laughs> So Andy Frayne <laughs> kind of sees what's on the what's what's coming up the pipeline with Ghost in the Shell and is like, this is great. Get me in on this. We'll pro- we'll throw in money. We'll actually co-produce this. And um, the Island Records video pr- production company eventually becomes Manga Entertainment, which yes. if you were an anime fan. In the fucking 90s and 2000s, you know exactly what that fucking logo is. Mm-hmm. It was always weird that they didn't actually publish manga, but they still called themselves Manga Entertainment. And uh, they had a voice to make sure that the Ghost in the Shell movie was primed for an international audience. Because if you notice, like, they really aren't, like, the first movie, they're not, like, sipping green tea. They're not, like, you know, there's no, like, schoolgirls running around. I mean, it's straight up, it's in Hong Kong. It's not even in, well, set in Tokyo. It's in a fictional city called Nihama. But but uh, modeled after Hong Kong. Model. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of I a, feel like it's a little bit more Americanized. Is that, can I say that about Hong is, Kong than, let's say, Tokyo? Uh, it is, well, what Hong Kong is, is a city that has been uh, colonized and cross and uh, a trading post. For yeah. so long that, like, there's almost... It's kind of the whole world is represented in Hong Kong. It's an emulsion of cultures and status and money uh, and, you know, chaotic. Uh, it's kind of a beautiful... 
you know, uh, immigrants and high class, you know, uh, government officials all walking side by side through these crowded streets. So Ghost in the Shell wasn't just some random find that came to America by chance. This was like the number one bullet in the chamber for an actual Western production company to team up with uh, production IG and Mamoru Oshii to make something that would rock Americans' minds. Also, to the point where mm-hmm. uh, Ghost in the Shell came out at the same time as uh, it was. It debuted at an anime festival alongside uh, Otomo's Memories, uh, the Akira guy. Mm. Uh, if you were an anime nerd in the nineties, two thousands, you definitely watched Memories and pretended you understood what it was about. <laughs> and uh, Macross Plus, which mm. is another huge classic. Yes, and uh, Ghost in the Shell. Didn't, like, set the world on fire in Japan. Oh, also, I just want to throw it out there that uh, the ending credits are a collaboration between you 2 and Brian Eno called One Minute Warning. And, of course, that is because of the Island Records connection. Yeah. What I'm – ooh, God, I hate when I get flustered like this. The cool <laughs> thing I'm trying to communicate is I like that, watching you squirm. <laughs> uh, hold on. Let me, what would, how would the major voice this? Okay. Holden. Yes, staring you in the eyes. Uh, absolutely what's up major although we think of ghost in the shell as just a happenstance film that happened to come across american audiences the fact is it was engineered to be appealing to us it was supposed to be the first global anime and therefore uh what we consider to just be a wacky find is in fact a deliberate marketing ploy and a deliberate attempt to win us over Mm. very interesting that's interesting to me major because to me, I felt like I was being sold one product and the advertisements for said product. But when I actually took that product home, I felt like I, like I said earlier in the episode, I felt like I got something very different that mo- modern me, having been more uh, closer to these different themes and things like this and have a little bit more experience and knowledge in this sort of sci-fi story, uh, back then I was kind of like flabbergasted at... Uh, Ghost in the Shell, and in, and to the degree, and kind of also by Acura, to the point where I didn't really become like a straight-up anime fan until I came to Cowboy Bebop and Neon Genesis in college. That's fair. Yeah. But I feel the audience for that l- high level of production and uh, mature themes was stoked by uh, Acura and Ghost in the Shell in um, in the West. That these these uh, anime companies were finally flooding money into TV anime production, like the quote unquote '90s golden age, mm. because they knew they could sell these products worldwide, and internet piracy hadn't kneecapped the fucking industry <laughs> to the point where almost everything that's made now is waifu bait and yeah. man and husbando bait. Oh my god, I watched your name again last night. And oh I well, cried and then there's cried your... and cried. Did you watch it with Lexi? Uh, no, I was kind of drunk. I came home from a gig and I put it on, and Lexi was about to go to bed. She was like, "Well, you really just want to like cry tonight?" And I was like, "Kind of, but it's a good cry. <laughs> it is such a good cry." I, um, I, it was one of my first dates with Marie. Mm-hmm. I took her to your name, and I was like, honestly, kind of sweating bullets because I was like. If I take her to a goddamn anime movie and she hates it, yeah. like I'm done. Yeah. And the fact that she also loved it, like really kind of cemented Aww. that, like, oh, we might have a future together. That's sweet. Just because we like Japanese cartoons. I know it's weird, <laughs> but it really was. A, it's an important movie to me. So let's go back to Hong Kong. I just wanted to say really quick about that. That uh, Hong Kong, according to the mecha designer Takeuchi Atsushi, 
it represents the theme of the film with the old and the new existing in an odd relationship. And I also think that theme song that we talked about earlier and you heard earlier represents that as well. Also, oh, wait, uh, I'm sorry. I'm can I? Are you on in the middle of a terror? Can I interject? You can totally interject. All right. It's so, Lucy Goosey today, baby. We Lucy Goose. <laughs> We just talked about a different anime film in our episode about Ghost of the Shell. So, yeah, we could definitely get loose on the goose. Uh, the composer is a guy named Kenji Kawai, who uh, has a legendary, I guess, resume of anime theme songs and background music. And what he originally wanted for that crazy opening theme with the chanting and the... Well, uh, Oshi just said, I want these, like, ancient drums. And uh, Kawai wanted to get Bulgarian folk choir music yes. to play. But due to just the fact that he's in Japan, he didn't have access to those vocal talents. So he created this kind of hybrid uh, composition using an ancient Japanese wedding prayer. Yes, it is uh, sung to dispel all evil influences. And it doesn't really have like a proper meter. It's not meant to be a song, so to speak. But it's ancient Japanese, so even the Japanese audience at the time wouldn't have really heard it as, like, a coherent song. And more also, like, they would also be hearing just foreboding old chants. But this is the thing, though. I've read that factoid. Oh, he was going to use Bulgarian folk singers, like, over and over and over again. Until today, I finally Google, I searched a YouTube video of it. And holy shit. Okay, Mary, hear my words. Mary, producer, heed my call. Look up. And play a couple of uh, bars of Le Mystery de Voy Bulgares, Moma Hubava. And holy shit, it's just Ghost in the Shell music. <laughs> Dude, like, that's crazy. <laughs> and then if you think, like, and what makes it even crazier is that Kenji Kawai, like, this isn't his usual, like, he makes these kind of themes, but, like, he can also make, like, just bouncy anime shit. Like, Mary, if you can play a couple of a couple of seconds of uh, Joke Yoku from the Ranma One Half soundtrack, this is the same guy. So, like, bouncy synth pop and ancient horror chants are all <laughs> part of this guy's it's catalog. It's so scary. The, the, that composition He's a rock is star. so scary to me. It's it's so haunting and perfectly in place in the film. And I forgot about that music until I rewatched it recently and was like, damn, that just sticks so well. Um, let's talk a little bit about the animation. The character designer was Hiroyuki Okiura. He left school to enter the animation industry at 16. He's known for his detailed effects and highly realistic character animation, and he is the one who chose to made, make uh, Motoko more physically mature. She's sort of like, a, has a younger look in, um, in the manga. Um, well, she's uh, it's Basically, uh, I think Oshi in one in the same hour long interview I watched uh, talked about how he had the scene already imagined with her ripping the tank thing off, ah. and how the body as her body as Shiro drew it really didn't have that kind of like athletic, scary power behind yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. again, boom, boom, va boom. Right, 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 right. Loves right. to fuck, loves to drink. Right, right. right. Uh, so they like kind of desexualized her, made her more of kind of a powerhouse tank kind of athletic woman 
and they kind of made her sexiness like almost this is where I don't quite get it like you can you can argue this either way I'm gonna fall in line with the art uh, with the with the reading that like yeah she gets naked all the time there is just like crazy nakedness uh because the thermo camouflage right. has to work yeah like yeah that. yeah uh but also she is completely like losing her humanity. She has right. no connection to her bodily. Yeah, nakedness means nothing to her. Right. She, you know, she's it's not even like a real body. Uh, Bateau on the boat, like the boat scene, which is very, you know, when she's diving and uh-huh. talking to Bateau. And she delivers yet another monologue about how my shell is but a shell. Is my soul a ghost? Whatever. Can I um, give you a good quote from Shiro about being human? Okay. Uh, creating humanoid robots involves seeing how much you can replicate human structure, which in turn involves understanding what it means to be human. In that case, uh, or in that sense, rather, current robots indicate that we understand basic human muscle and bone structure. That's all. Recently, though, some people say that emotions can be explained through chemistry. So then the question becomes, if emotions are chemical, what are we? If a robot becomes so advanced that it can coexist on an equal basis with humans, is it really a robot? Perhaps it's just a human made of different different materials uh, and that is i think at the core of ghost in the shell i mean it's it's i don't want i mean i don't want to make too many definitive statements about the nature of reality but <laughs> your body is your personality uh they've done studies and like people with uh art, people who have successfully gotten artificial hearts uh they can't control their heart rate it doesn't respond to like hormones and stress mm. like uh, a organic heart does mm. and so situations where they're supposed to be angry or sad or scared they just don't feel anything huh. because their blood and like they're not pumping the same amount of like blood in their systems. Like your emotions are a rea- a physical reflection of your reality. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> you're freaking me out. <laughs> um, just the scene. Okay, so I was watching the I was watching the anime and I watched the live action film with Marie, and she was groaning because there's so much fucking nudity, but. You know, the scene on the boat where she starts getting undressed in front of ba- uh, Bato and Bato turns away uh, half out of like modesty and half as kind of like him realizing that like she just does not give a shit about her outer self anymore. Yeah. Like she really is retreating and like becoming something less than human. And he's kind of saddened by it. Um, but also, why does she have such realistic nipples? There's right. no reason. There's just no reason. She for doesn't it. have like they, they show produce, that they don't they have a vagina. They can't produce milk. She showed they show that she doesn't have a vagina. She is just like no, nothing. She's all Ken doll down there. But those nipples <laughs> are fucking in HD. Um, speak and, and to get those nipples in HD, uh, they had Thank good segue. They had to use quite a different animation approach at the time. I remember. Th- I remember even at the time of it coming out, this was a huge deal. What they did was. They called it Digitally Generated Animation, or DGA, which was a combination of cell animation, computer graphics, and audio, entered as digital data. Now, I feel like this is like what shows like The Simpsons even got to eventually, but this was very novel at the time. The 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 bringing cell, hand-drawn cells together with computer animation to create a, uh, this look and this... Um, stuff, you know, flow of animation. Uh, digital cells included original illustrations, compositions, and manipulation with traditional cell animation, creating a sense of depth, which you definitely get. Also, you could take, you could make filters have a lens effect by distorting the front background and making the far background out of focus to really make it look filmic and mm-hmm. still animated. And that was a huge improvement. Um, so uh, and also the the budget uh, we talked about Island Records and all that stuff like the budget for the anime um, uh, was on a completely higher scale than most 
anything else, uh, or than, than anything else at the time, especially in Akira Japanese animation. I think was still higher, but okay. like it was still extraordinarily high production budget. Um, so it was just, uh, yeah, it was a big deal at the time, and that was a lot because of manga entertainment. Um, also, Major Matoko Kusanagi is voiced by Atsuko Tanaka. She also voiced Lisa Lisa in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Nice. She voiced Lara Croft in the Japanese dub of the Tomb Raider games and Bayonetta in Bayonetta 2. That was a really good performance as Bayonetta as well. In the manga entertainment dub, she was voiced by Mimi Woods, who sounds, yet again, I cannot stress this enough, like a weird teenager giving a speech in front of a religious service. Um, I want to get into the other uh, Ghost in the Shell properties. Do you have anything else on? Do you, you can go, go shoot for the moon if you have a bunch of stuff. But do you have what else? Uh, do you want to talk about the bad dub before no, um, we move on? Just uh, Robert Epcar is actually amazing as Bateau. He does the voice a lot in later uh, in later iterations of the franchise. Well, first of all, can we talk about the movie? Like him? Like uh, sure. So. The attention to detail is really what kind of sets me off and what made it like feel amazing. Mm. Every bullet fired in this movie oh, feels man. like it has impact. The scene where the uh, where the terrorist guy before they have that invisible fight, yeah, is like that's such a fucking the way cool. he like braces himself yeah. and like fires that gun and yeah. is like pushed back a meter. All that stuff is great. I love and I, I've said tone a lot today, but I really do love the noir feel of the whole thing and there's not a ton a ton of violence but when there is violence it is in yo fa- it is head exploding arms ripping off just very intense stuff and everything is just feels so competent in the film so deliberate there it just feels like it's one of those movies where you just you don't feel like a shot is wasted and there's that awesome like almost like music video in the middle of it that's just oh. shots of near future Japanese city that's really based off of Hong Kong with just that haunting music playing underneath it. And it just gives you this amazing feeling, this dreadful cyberpunk feeling. It's one of the best representations. So in theory, uh, the major is like feeling a loss of identity. She's doubting herself. She doesn't really know what's real anymore. Uh, She's seen the uh, garbage man like have false memories implanted into his ghost. So like, how important even is the ghost for your identity? Mm. She's seen the uh, translator with her brain scooped out. She's seen um, just her own body in different ways. And uh, as she's traveling, she notices that there's other people walking around with like her model of cyber body just floating around. It's like literally on display in stores. Mm. On top of that, she's just watching the crowds go by and it just perfectly captures this very unique thing that as a fellow New Yorker, you absolutely understand that like, nothing feels more alone than like walking through a crowd in a big city. Yeah, it's weird. Like, and even the writer of Taxi Driver had the same thing to say. Like, there's nothing more lonely than walking around in New York alone, you know, isolated, but surrounded by all those people. And this is a, you know, this movie moves, it's 80 minutes. it, It goes at a clip and just taking that time to breathe and give it this kind of sensory space while, you know, demanding a level of artistry from the animators to like, really just deliver it like as reality you know they're not doing anything crazy is uh is kind of amazing in the live action film whenever they're walking around there's all this cg shit going around they're doing like the blade runner thing with all like the big 3d ads flying all over the place and it doesn't feel as real it doesn't feel as disquieting yeah as just the drawings of a city yes it, it has it has a really crazy vibe um and i just i gotta say this the 
the fucking ending with the puppet master. Yeah. Uh, the tank fight is amazing. Tank fight. It's amazing. actually kind of uh, brilliant because um, in the manga, uh, the they're called something different in the anime. It's like uh, they're Not called spider tanks. They're, I mean, they're called uh, they're called tachikomas in the standalone complex anime, but in the manga, I think they're called like sukikomas or something. But it's very they're integral to. The plot, like they are their main source of transportation. They do, they fight in them. Like they, the manga is in theory about these tank pilots, uh-huh. but the uh, movie really doesn't address them until the last scene when yeah. all of a sudden it's like, it's not cute. It's not funny. It is just a big fuck you tank. Yeah. Also throughout the uh, museum where they're fighting, uh, like all the exhibits that are getting blown up, such as like the bird skeleton and the tree of life and all that. Those yes. are designs taken from Oshi's angel egg. Ah. It's a, it's like a weird callback. Very cool. Yeah, like an Easter egg thing. Uh, but then it's we're, we, we have this character, and we have the puppet master in yet another naked robot body with just bonking dip nips. And just out of nowhere, it's just like, hey there, do you want to merge with me? <laughs> I am the future guy. The net is bigger. I, I need to replicate. Oh, I liked, I liked it. It feels, like so, it feels so weird that, like, everything we've been building up to is like, yeah, sure, I'll be a cyber baby with you. It feels – I don't like it. Well, I think that's where the singularity that's, that's, comes in, though. I mean, that's what, you know, when – when it, well, I guess him uploading essentially to, to everything is, like, the introduction of it. But then also we can merge consciousnesses, and it has, I think, an interesting thing to say in that, in that respect. Also, I, I always kind of love it when it's like, oh, you thought you were fighting against the thing, but now you're going to, like jo- – get together both oshi and shiro love a sympathy love a villain that is just a mouthpiece for their own actual ideas yeah like it's it's almost like an oshi standard that like basically the villain is right and the heroes know they're right but like the heroes have to stop them anyway but it just like you want the major to like find happiness within herself you want her to like Mm. be like no i am a person and i can find happiness Mm. instead of just being like yeah fuck it i'll be a weird cyber baby with you (laughs) I don't know. I just it never sat right with me. Mm. It's in the manga too. It does end up in there. It's and in the movie, I guess she's back into a corner, and it's really her only way to get out of it. But it's just not as satisfying. It always mm. just sticks in my craw. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that. All right, I give it two thumbs up. It's just your fu- all this shit's <laughs> happening, and then it ends with just like cyber babies, the future, genetic <laughs> memes, memories, and just like uh huh, yeah, this makes sense totally. Jack in boyo, we're gonna be a cyber baby. <laughs> I like the cyber baby. Okay, let's move on to Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. Um, I actually had a buddy of mine, shout out to Jordan and the World Shop podcast. Uh, he hit me up. He was like, I hear you're doing Ghost in the Shell. I'm very passionate about it. And, you know, he told me that a lot of people, for many, Ghost in the Shell standalone complex is their Ghost in the Shell, is the definitive Ghost in the Shell. If Ghost in the Shell, the movie, was one of the most expensive anime movies ever produced, uh, production IG dumped so much money into this. This is one of the most consistently well-animated, well-produced animes in the history. It's, it looks great. I watched some of it. I, I thought it was fantastic. It was animated by Production IG, which is based, uh, and it's based on the original manga. That uh, It's and kind it's, of a fusion, because the major is still not like the fucking riot, like fucking riot cop party girl that she right. is in the manga. She's pr- it's still stoic, but maybe but a little less uptight. It's a great fusion. It's mm. kind of what makes her, what makes this version of the, of the series the most uh, palatable, because mm. it is 
it has that like stoic future punk seriousness, but also the fun anime-ness of the original story. It started airing in 2002. It ran for two seasons with 52 episodes. Each season essentially takes on a different, um, like, hacker or terrorist organization um, and uh, it tells the story. It really kind of – and also gets to flesh out all these characters, The mm. you know, the whole force. Like, you get a, you know, you get a little bit more – background plus you get them blue spider friends the tachikomas hell yeah more so than it's actually really refreshing how like in the movie it was just the major going on these long diatribes but then for some reason through the childlike tachikoma ais when they're like hey i just thought of something what if the soul is just a series of memories brought together carried with traditions and like bato just has to look and be like yeah yeah cool Uh, a couple things about production uh, IG. They were founded back in the late 80s. They put out shows like Psychopaths and Guilty Crown. They also did cutscenes and artwork for video games like Tales of Symphonia, if you're familiar with the Tales games, and Persona 5, actually. And they they worked with Headgear back in the day on the Pat Labor film, wow. which I thought was very interesting. And uh, it's written, directed mainly by a guy named Kenji Kamiyama. Who uh, did work very closely with Headgear back in the day. Mm, so there you go. So there's there's like a bloodline here when it comes to this new series. And, I mean, they brought back like the, the a lot of the same voice actors, including the major. It's voiced by the same person, by the same uh, lady we mentioned earlier. Um, Kamiyama set out to make the show a parallel world from the film and the manga, a relative to the film and the manga. Oshi did contribute ideas for the concept of the second series. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, main villain is a terrorist, a domestic terrorist group called Individual Eleven. Well, there's two in the first That's, season. The there's season. the Laughing Man. Yeah, the Laughing Man is the what first I thought season. is. I'd be one of. I'd act like one of those deaf mutes it's, uh, with the creepy logo. Mm. Yeah, th- oh, this is so the good. second season that uh, Oshi helped contribute to. And Individual Eleven actually draws connections to 9-11 and is loosely focused uh, on, on the irresponsibility of the Japanese people when they voted for the politicians that planned to send Japanese troops to Iraq and Afghanistan. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. So, so very, again, very political, very of the time, very much social commentary like we've experienced in this other stuff, but more up to date. And now we're in the 2000s. Also, uh, the theme songs by yeah. Russian artist Olga, or she became so much more popular in Japan that like you, it's easier to find her music under like Oliga. Ah, um, but, I thought you were going to talk about Yoko Kano. Oh, because she composed the music on uh, Cowboy Bebop and did the music on standalone complex you know she did tank she did uh uh, uh, all that great and that soundtrack is awesome uh very flashy very very big uh she said of the movie of of composing for this uh series ghost in the shell standalone complex i had this image of a formal and rigid manly world for the original comic so i tried to think of ways to destroy that world the theme i had in mind was be human. It re- uh, represented the sentiment of why don't we take it easy and be more like a human being instead of being a workaholic, salaried man working for his company, or be it uh, Tachikoma wishing to become human. I wanted to express these tangible fuzziness, sort of. Uh, uh, for the opening theme song called Inner Universe, I had an image of digital bits and composed a score consisting of recurrent quick beats. So it has this energy to it, this pep to it. 
which I really like. Both seasons end up getting the OVA treatment, by the way, so you can see them in a more compact form. Um, and, a and a bunch of video game spinoffs. Three, actually, to be exact. Uh, there's a third-person shooter and two first-person shooters. The last one uh, is First Assault Online. And it's that got slammed by the uh, Yeah, it's free to play and entered early access in Steam back in 2015. It's no good. What I've actually heard is the uh, original PlayStation game. It's pretty it's supposed to be pretty the, good. The PS1. PS1 game. Oh, okay, is that uh, the third-person shooter? It's You pilot uh, the Tsukikoma. It takes place in the comics universe and has cutscenes by production IG with a more Shiro-esque art style. Mm. And like the major is like more... Uh, badass and kind of sassy in it it's very interesting uh you can like see let's play clips of it obviously i didn't play it well if you liked the film and want more you got it it's great like standalone complex is a very competent anime series with plenty of episodes so go check that out uh i i i I don't think it's free anywhere i think i i rented the episodes from amazon but uh either way it's all on there though um now, Every anime is free if you lack morals. Also, we mentioned it before, but in 2004, uh, Mamoru Oshii, produced by Production IG, directed by Mamoru Oshii, uh, and Studio Ghibli, actually as well, put out Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence. It had a production budget of $20 million, and um, Production IG reached out to the president of Studio Ghibli, and, uh, whose name is Toshio Suzuki, to co-produce in order to get that budget up there. It's about a criminal conspiracy centered around sex robots and investigated by operatives Batau and Togusa, who were the majors. Yeah. So assist, by this you know, point, the major has the major. technically vanished into the Internet yeah. and is like this cyber baby. So it's following Batau and Togusa. <laughs> but also I the major it. and I, the major like communicates with yeah. them and stuff like that. I don't know if that's a big spoiler or not, but you So you really liked it. Can I you speak towards it? The animation is truly gorgeous. It blends. I probably the CG hasn't aged very well, but the combination of CG and cell animation at the time I thought was great. A lot of really creepy imagery, a lot of meandering philosophical conversations, but a yes. lot of that. But also that same like stop and breathe sense of place. Oshi like uh, scenery porn. Yeah, which is, I, I love. I think that stuff's great. Yet another crowded Asian city. Yeah. Um, oh, she said, I had a dozen ideas linked to my views on life, my philosophy that I wanted to include in this film. I attacked innocence as a technical challenge. I wanted to go beyond typical animation limits, answer personal questions, and at the same time appeal to filmgoers. Uh, so the movie is steeped in philosophical ideas, references to Zen and fantasy and morality. Um, also, it has different quotes all throughout it oh, um, yeah. about God, it's so pretentious. Yeah, I'm, yeah, 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 I'm, yeah. I know I'm on shaky ground defending it. A lot of people are like, this was so too up its own ass. It was, uh, it was, it, those quotes were inspired by Godard, um, the director, Jean-Luc Godard. Um, oh, she said the texts give a certain richness to cinema because the visual is not all there. All there is. Thanks to Godard, the spectacular, can concoct his own interpretation. The image associated with the text is a unifying act that aims at renewing cinema that lets it take to new dimensions. Bato oh. is just a great noir hero. He's just like, he's got his own moral code. He like understands the rottenness of the world around him and still tries to do right by his own code. Mm -hmm. uh, he loves his basset hound. He misses his sexy robot boss. It's I, I, I God, I, 
Fuck no, I love it. I love that movie. <laughs> Kenji Kawaii does return to do the soundtrack. More freaky chance. More freaky chance because he wanted it to follow the music from the original film. Oshi said, uh, uh, in summary of this film, this movie concludes that all forms of life, humans, animals, and robots are equal. In this day and age when everything is uncertain, we should all think about what to value in life and how to coexist with others. Um, okay, there's so m- I did not realize how massive this franchise there's is. There's like five universes right now there's the manga version the movie version the standalone complex version the arise version and there we are uh let's talk about ghost in the shell arise also known as mobile armored riot police arise it is an ova and tv series they're, serving- that, they're not even riot police in the original they're the cyber crime <laughs> people i don't at no point do they stop riots i've never understood that title it serves as a reimagining of the original manga uh the screenplay initially was written by tao Ubukata, who did Psychopass 2, and it was directed by Kazuchika Kise. Um, it follows a younger Matoko, uh, pre public security section 9, who works for the 501 organization. Um, and it, the 501 organization is the legal owner of her prosthetic body, and they are lending it to her in exchange for this police work, which she fucking hates, and it's a lot about the push and pull of that. So I, I think that's a fascinating concept. It's a prequel, but it doesn't necessarily lead directly to any of the other universes. So yeah. it's, it's its own bizarre thing. And this, I by hear the way, it's good. This is a series good. of OVAs, by the way, I should say. It was later broken up into 10 episodes as a TV series, but initially it is five OVAs, and they refer to them as Borders, and it was released initially in Japan in 2013. Um, and that is what leads us to Ghost in the Shell, the new movie. <laughs> oh, Ghost in the Shell movie. 2017. Yeah, this uh, continues the Arise story arc, also written by Tao Ubukata, um, but it is directed this time by Kazuya Nomura. Oh, no, wait. I thought you were talking about the, the Scarlett Johansson. No, we're, we're not even that. Woo! We're not even there yet. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll uh-huh. get to that. Lucy Goose. That's coming next. That's coming next. It was released in 2015, later in the year, I think around October. So now we're getting more and more up to date. Now we can talk about the very much uh, lambasted live action film. I'm going to go ahead and say this right now, Jake. And I, I'm okay with people hating me for this. I kind of thought it was all right, and so did Lexi. <laughs> like, we didn't. I mean, amidst, the controversy is the controversy, and I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm talking about as a film, sitting down, like, Lexi would never seen Ghost in the Shell before. We sat down to watch it, and she thought it was pretty good, and I kind of did too. I, I, can, I will say, pretty forgettable. I don't really remember much about mm-hmm. the movie. I remember the geisha in the beginning, you know, the like uh, that big opening scene, but not a ton else. So the geisha stuff is all from Ghost in the Shell to two, Innocence. Right. Uh, so many shots. But it's weird. They combined the geisha shit from two with the breaking and entering from yes. the opening scene. Of How, one. What, what do you think? What do There's you think? bits. For, so I could not watch it without recognizing all the shit they were stealing or adapting yeah. from the movies and standalone complex. It was yeah. just all there. Um, I think what they did with the villain with Kuze was kind of eh. Um, also, the major, like, Scarlett Johansson does a fine job. I mean, I think she's a fantastic actor. Yeah. Uh, all the, again, controversy aside, as a talent, I think she's very good. And I but, like, I enjoy watching her, as, but, especially as these kind of like, you know, badass roles. The story of Mira Killian is, is not the major that I'd wanted to see on film. That's uh-huh. not the person that I found like so cool and captivating 
and the world they were in didn't feel as cool as the cities of Niha- uh, that they were covering. Yeah, I wonder I wonder how I would feel now watching it than I did, you know, now that I have yeah. have rewatched a lot of the have rewatched the first film and uh seen the series and have a better understanding of the original world that this was coming from and how different and therefore kind of wrong. I, I know that big fans of the old stuff definitely generally dislike this live action film. There was also this weird thing where like Japanese fans were ecstatic that, you know, Marvel Disney real celebrity Scarlett Johansson was going to play this famous cultural icon. You Uh know, it was a very validating thing for them. Uh Um, And in Japan, uh, so many live-action anime adaptation movies are kind of just weird hodgepodge messes of the cool moments from yeah, the franchise, yeah, vaguely and strung together. Anime is going through like the same thing comic books went through in the '90s right now. I think, like- honestly, no, it's I've I've said this multiple times. The as the Marvel as the people who grew up watching comic books have basically done every trick in the book from their fondness, fond memories of. Like they did Avengers Endgame, they did the giant galactic crossover mega fight movie, uh-huh. and that's like. Then they've done the origin story. They've done the you know they've done basic. They've done the hero fight hero. The the there's not that many more tricks in the book for kids that grew up reading comic books to lean on and put into movies. Yeah, and now it's really is the weeb's turn to take all the <laughs> shit they've loved from anime. Yeah. and adapt that into movies, and right. that's going to be where the next like. We're going to be alive long enough to see a billion-dollar Dragon Ball movie. That would be pro- cool. I promise this now. Um, and we'll look back on evolution like we look back on <laughs> Daredevil and all that. T- but what I'm trying to get at is um, I didn't like the movie. I really wish they just had the balls to – the director and the writer and everyone involved just had the balls to be like, I want to make a movie with cool shit like I remember in Ghost in the Shell and, and make, make something that, new. And make an, like their Matrix, yeah, essentially. Literally just make their Matrix. Uh, and that would have been. Instead, we got a big old whitewashing controversy and a yeah. lot of bullshit. And uh, totally understandably so. Uh, so, this movie, directed by Rupert Sanders, who did Snow White and the Huntsman. It was written by Jamie Moss, who is an uncredited writer on Rise of the Planet of the Apes and X Men First Class, both great films. Uh, who was later replaced by Laeta Calagridis, who wrote Pathfinder and Shutter Island. And wouldn't you know it, she was replaced by William Wheeler. This is such a Hollywood fucking yeah. movie. Um, William, William Wheeler uh, said, It's a vast enterprise. Uh, I think I was second or third in the mix, and I know there have been at least six or seven writers. Fuck it, let's give it a... Let's give it to Aaron Kruger, who wrote a bunch of bad Transformer movies. Let's have him put his hand on it. Um, so back in 2008, DreamWorks and Steven Spielberg acquired the rights for a live-action film adaptation. Margot Robbie actually was up for the lead role, but she ended up going with uh, Harley Quinn and Suicide Squad, which weirdly was a smarter move for her. It was a no-win situation. Was a fucking... <laughs> Goddamn bad. We'll see how whatever that Birds of Prey movie does. We'll see what that does. Uh, and a $10 million offer was made to Scarlett Johansson. Principal photography began in New Zealand in 2016 and it wrapped there that same year with filming also taking place in Hong Kong. And, of course, it got a ton of criticism for Americaning it up, essentially. Well, that's the thing is like uh, – not just, not just like removing the philosophy and replacing it with a bunch of big action – but also, obviously, the casting of Scarlett Johansson as the lead. 
Um, no, which, but then they had an in-plot, like, haha, fuck you, we thought of that, and that's why we're actually good for doing this. <laughs> but then why was Bateau the guy for? why was Bateau Euron Greyjoy yeah. from Game of Thrones? Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. just there. It's just fucking Euron Greyjoy <laughs> with some goggles on. It's fucking weird. Um, and you can tell that poor guy has no peripheral vision, and he's just doing his best. I think, you know, I would, I will, I will rather let uh, Paven uh, Shamdasani of Asia Times speak best oh, about this I issue. I will say, though, Takeshi Kitano is so he's just literally sitting throughout the entire movie and he still comes off as a badass. (laughs) Um, So yes, I will let Pavin Shamtasani speak uh, towards this issue because I think uh, they put it best. The original is about as Asian as things get. Japanese cult manga, groundbreaking anime, Hong Kong-inspired locations, Eastern philosophy-based story. Most of Also, that's, uh, plot teeming with Japanese politics. Mm-hmm. Most of that's been downright ignored uh, with its big-screen adaptation and Scarlett Johansson's casting as the dark-haired, obviously originally Asian lead sent netizens into a rage. Rupert, Rupert Sanders said uh, in defense, this is the director, uh, there are very few actresses with 20 years experience who have the cyberpunk ethic already baked in. I stand by my decision. She's the best actress of her generation. ScarJo goes on to say, I certainly would never presume to play another race of a person. Diversity is important in Hollywood, and I would never want to feel like I was playing a character that was offensive. Also, having a franchise with a female protagonist, driving it is such a rare opportunity. Certainly, I feel the enormous pressure of that, the weight of such a big property on my shoulders. But... She did play it. I don't understand that quote. She did play. No, she didn't play. I guess she didn't play Asian. No, she played Mira Killian. Yeah. Who was secretly whatever. Um, <laughs> um, also, recently in an interview, she caused even more controversy by saying, you know, as an actor, I should be allowed to play any person or any tree or any animal because that is my job and the requirements of my job. I feel like it's a trend in my business and it needs to happen for various social reasons. Yet there are times it does get uncomfortable when it uh, affects the art because I feel art should be free of restrictions, causing another controversy. She later clarified those comments by saying an interview that was recently published has been edited for clickbait and is widely taken out of context the question i was answering in my conversation with the contemporary artist david sal was about the confrontation between political correctness and art i personally feel that in an ideal world any actor should be able to play anybody and art in all forms should be immune to political correctness i recognize that in reality there is a widespread discrepancy amongst my industry that favors caucasian cisgendered actors and that not every actor has been given the same opportunities that i have been privileged to i continue to support and always have diversity in every industry and will continue to fight for projects where everyone is included. So, do you know uh, how much money domestically Ghost in the Shell 2017 made? I don't. Uh, $40 million. Uh-huh. Uh, it cost $110 million to make. Uh, Crazy oh. Rich Asians made $174 million <laughs> and cost $30 million to make. Right. So, you know, the tides are changing. Yeah. We'll and look the, back and, on and this as a good. weird hiccup yeah. stumble on our way to a world where people can accept like different races right. as acceptable to lead movies. Uh, like I said, you know, I really think that I really like that quote from Pavan Shamdasani uh, because it's so dead on. It's just, it's such a Japanese story. Everything about it is steeped in that. And they just, went so fucking Hollywood on it in such a obvious gross way that even though I, like I said before, we 
enjoyed it in uh, the sense of enjoying like a big dumb blockbuster movie, but it, the stuff underneath the, the surface is gross, and I absolutely acknowledge that. And that wasn't Holden, really in the I've forefront said this of our once, mind. I've said this a million it. times. If the two of us had definitive, 100% clear, thorough answers on these issues, we would not be podcast hosts. We would be <laughs> the god emperors of the new world. Um, also, I forgot to mention this. Uh, Steven Spielberg famously uh, gave a bunch of like gushing quotes about Ghost in the Shell when it first came out, like the kind of stuff that you'd see in magazine ads uh-huh. and on the back of DVD boxes. Uh-huh. And it just so happened that the next two films he made after he saw that were AI and Minority Report. <laughs> Coincidence? I think not, I Steven. Think not, Steve. And on that note, I think we're going to call it. This is our episode on Ghost in the Shell. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did like it, uh, check us out on Patreon if you want more content. We do weekly bonus content on there of various degrees. Uh, but- Interviews, d- uh, topless, answering your questions. Uh, 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 we fucking talk about internet bullshit that is gets everyone mad. <laughs> uh, so no che- topic is off limits. Check us Raw, out. uncensored content. It's, it's $5 a month. That's it for weekly bonus content. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Hey, check it. You know what? You can sign up right now. It's only five bucks. Check it out. Listen to a couple of things. You know, uh, and if you don't like it, just cancel it. Cancel it. And We're yeah. fine with that. But uh, I think I think you'll like it. Also, uh, twitch.tv forward slash holdnatorsho is where I'll be streaming. Jake? Uh, follow me on Twitter at bestjakeyoung. And uh, as always, Holden, keep on whizzing. Never stop bruising. Can you say it like uh, Makoto? The soul is separate. Am I whizzing or is... <laughs> My body whizzing. And the soul truly know what it is to whiz? Despite this, humanity will always keep on whizzing. Thank you, Major. Over and out. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Willy Wonka Golden Ticket Games from the Virginia Lottery are here. The Scratcher gives you the chance to win up to $100,000. The online game gives you the chance to win up to $1 million. For more information, visit VALottery.com. Hey, Hotels.com here. Struggling to keep up with your toddler? We know a hotel that'll keep them entertained. Book family-friendly hotels with pools in the Hotels.com app to find your perfect somewhere.